Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And that tragic loss for Israel is what the Lord Jesus Christ is referring to here in this Psalm 8111 where it says, Israel with none of me. Israel, that name, with all its power with God and man, given by the Lord Jesus Christ, given by God, Genesis 32. He says, Israel with none of me. They cut themselves off from the tragically. And that's so true today, that Israel would none of the Lord Jesus Christ today. I just had a letter from a radio listener who told me, she's Jewish, and she told me that her Jewish family, uh, when she goes to visit them, and she tries to bring the gospel to her, but her Jewish family told her, in no uncertain terms, you are forbidden to talk about Jesus. They told her. And they said, any subject but Jesus. Israel would none of me. So in verse 12, the consequence comes in verse 12 where it says, so I had no choice, God says in verse, 11, verse 12. I gave them up unto their own heart's lust and they walked in their own counsel. This consequence of I gave them up unto their, themselves, their own heart's lust, is a terrible judgment where God says, you, they wanted me to leave them alone, I left them alone. You know, it's like the answer of Billy Graham's daughter, Ruth Amelot who when Larry King asked her, where was God on September 11th? She said, well, God was exactly where we asked him to be. We asked him to leave our schools, to leave our government, to leave our country, and leave us alone. And so God said, okay, I'm leaving you alone. To be left alone by God is a terrible judgment. And it's what God calls in verse 12, so I gave them up. And it's the same terrible judgment that God speaks about those who just want God to leave them alone. Just They just want God to leave homosexuals alone. Let them enjoy themselves. And God says, okay. And he agrees in Romans 1, 26 through 20, 32, where we read, for this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their own lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their heir, which was meat. Even, but even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over, gave them up, gave them over to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetous, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit those things are worthy of death. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. God said, I just gave them up. It's a terrible judgment when God removes his punishment for sexual immorality, which is being referred to in Romans 1. 
That's what he, the judgment that he also did on Israel. It says in Hosea 4, 13, and God said to them, they sacrifice on the top of mountains, they burn incense upon the hills, under oaks, poplars, elms, because the shadow of the earth is good. Therefore, your daughters shall commit whoredom, and your spouses shall commit adultery. I will not punish your daughters when they commit whoredom, nor your spouses when they commit adultery. For themselves are separated with whores, and they sacrifice with harlots. Therefore, the people that doth not understand shall fall. That's a bad thing when God gives a person up, when God finally agrees with a person who says, leave us alone, God. That's bad. But it broke God's heart when this happened. He, because he thought of the suffering, he not only thought of the suffering that they were going through, Israel, and those that he'd given up, he not only thought of the suffering, but he thought about how different it could have been. And that's what broke his heart. And so that's why he says it in Psalm 81, he said, all that my people had hearkened unto me. And Israel had walked in my ways. And he goes through all these things. He sees clearly how it all could have been different. The finest, God sees the finest of wheat and it's just sitting there. He wanted to give it to him. They didn't. He sees the honey that he would have satisfied them with out of a rock. They didn't. And he sees all of this that could have been. And he said, if only Israel had trusted and obeyed. He wanted to fight against their enemies. It broke his heart to see what his enemy, their enemies did to him. But they limited him with their unbelief. And so he didn't fight against their enemies. He wanted to feed them with the finest of wheat and the milk, I mean, and the adequately satisfy them from the most unlikely places, a rock. He wanted to see, he could picture them rejoicing, dancing around, saying, God gave me honey out of the rock. Who gets honey out of a rock? God gave me honey out of a rock. He, wanted, he, he could see it all. He could see them rejoicing. He could see this pleasure. They were happy with God. God was happy with them. He could see it all, but it, it didn't happen because they limited him. He wanted to do all that for the Jewish people, but the Jewish people limited God by their unbelief and disobedience. And because of their unbelief, God said that they could not. They could not. And that was what he said in Hebrews 3.19. He said, I made a rest for them. But in Hebrews 19, it says, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. They could not enter in. It wasn't because of God's unwillingness. God wanted them to enter in. They couldn't enter in because of their own unbelief. We see the same doctrine of God limiting himself when the Lord Jesus Christ was surrounded by their unbelief. So much need, he comes to the land of Israel. And he was commissioned. You go, you, you cleanse the lepers, you heal the blind, you preach the gospel. And he wanted to do that so much. But when it says in Mark 6, 5 through 6, it comes to one place, it says, he could there do no mighty work. It says that. He could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. There were a lot of sick folk. And he wanted to lay his hands on a lot of sick folk. And do many mighty works there, but he, he could there do no mighty work. He limited himself. Why? And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. In another place in Matthew 13, 58, same thing. He says, he did not many mighty works there because 
of their unbelief. They limited the power of God. It was not because he wasn't able. It was not because he wasn't El Shaddai, the Almighty God, that he was not able to do those mighty works. It was not because he was not wanting to do those mighty works. He wanted to. But it was because of their own unbelief that he did not do many mighty works. That's a challenge for us. You know, he said, you have not because you ask not. That's a challenge for us. We should not limit God with unbelief. We should not limit God with a life that's not true. So God wanted to do for Abraham what he had promised. So in order for God to not be limited by Abraham, it was important for Abraham. And so God's preparing Abraham. In essence, God's saying here in verse 1, Abraham, don't you limit me. Abraham, believe. Therefore, in verse 1, God prepares Abraham by saying, Abraham, I am almighty God. And the second requirement, that's belief. We have a life that's true, Abraham. Second requirement to not limit God was Abraham needed to obey God. And God knew that Abraham would obey God if Abraham would do what God told him to do. Adopt this attitude, Abraham. Walk before me, verse 1 of Genesis 17. Walk before me and be thou perfect. So Abraham should see his life he says, now study very carefully, Abraham. I'm giving you these words. I didn't say crawl before me <laughs> and be perfect. And I didn't say run before me. I said walk before me and be thou perfect. And that's what God wanted Abraham to do. And that's what God wants us to do as well. The steady walk. Sometimes, it's just the hardest. The steady walk before God. And Abraham should see himself as he walks before God. He should see himself. I'm always on display by God. God's always looking at me because I'm always out in front of him. And that's how God wants us to see our lives too. We're always in front of God. God's always got his eye on us. We're always on display. We walk before God. And as we walk before God and tough times come, and they do. And if they haven't, just wait. <laughs> and when tough times come, God wants us to always be instant in prayer. Why? Because we're walking before him. And when we sin, he wants us to be so sensitive to sin, the thought of sin, the act of sin, the, the words of sin, is that immediately confess and forsake. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. I know you got your eye on me. I'm sorry. And for that time that Abraham heard, this is to be your worldview, Abraham. This is to be your self-perception, Abraham, of you walking before me and being perfect. From that time on, Abraham adopted it. And he said, that's me. I, what, what do I do? I walk before God, and, and I'm trying to be perfect. I'm trying to be whole, complete, sincere, a life that's true. And something changed in Abraham. And we can see this, as we mentioned before. L- many years later, it says in Genesis 24, 40, the servant said unto me, he says, the Lord, Abraham said, the Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with thee. He says, the Lord before whom I walk. So Abraham, from the moment that God tells him this in this chapter, for the rest of his life, he's got this on his mind. I am walking in front of God. I'm on display of God all the time. And this is a new perception of himself. And he begins to see himself in his life as walking before God. And then in verse 1, God appears to Abraham, okay, and he begins to reveal to Abraham his great plan. This chapter is a blossoming of the great plan of God. And we see now God has prepared Abraham for this great plan. 
And to not limit God, telling Abraham, Abraham, don't you limit me, Abraham. You believe that I am the Almighty God. Don't you limit me, Abraham. You live a life that's true by walking before me, being perfect. And so in verse 2, he tells him what he wants to do. And he says, he uses very important words. He said, Abraham, I'm going to establish a covenant. Notice the words, between me and thee. And those little words, between me and thee, express how personal this covenant was between God and Abraham. Later, when God tells the descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people, that he's going to keep his covenant, he doesn't tell them, I'm going to keep the covenant that I made between myself and you. He says, I'm going to keep the covenant that I made between myself and Abraham. And the Jewish people were delivered from Egypt because of this covenant in this chapter here that God made with Abraham. And that's what it says in Exodus 2.24 where it said, I mentioned it earlier, I said, God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham. And the Jewish people are guaranteed the land of Israel because of this covenant that God made with Abraham. And that's what it says in Leviticus 26, 42. He says, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember and I will remember the land. And he goes on and he says in Psalm 105, he says, he hath remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousandth generation, which covenant he made with Abraham. And his oath to Isaac and confirmed the same to Jacob for a law and Israel to an everlasting covenant, saying, unto thee will I give this land of Canaan, the lot of your inheritance. And the Jewish people are preserved today as a people with a remnant of them that are saved to be in God's presence because of this covenant. And he said that in 2 Kings 13, 23. The Lord, he said, and the Lord was gracious unto them, had compassion on them, and had respect unto them because of his covenant with Abraham and would not destroy them, neither cast he them from his presence. So when God uses this term of between me and thee, he was saying that this was a very personal agreement between God and Abraham. And this personal part of it, this personal aspect of the agreement between God and Abraham, it's a picture of what happens in salvation, of the personal relationship between a sinner and the Lord Jesus Christ. These words, between me and thee, are like what God said in Isaiah 27, 12, and ye shall be gathered one by one, ye children of Israel. It's what the Lord Jesus Christ meant when he said in John 6, 37, him, one person, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. And then when he gives the whole parable of the 90 and 9 sheep, he said, how think you if a man have 100 sheep and one of them be gone astray? Matthew 18, 12. Doth he not leave the 90 and 9 and go into the wilderness and seekest that which is gone astray? And if so, be verily find it. Say unto you, he rejoices more of that sheep than of the 90 and 9 which went not astray. He said in Matthew 10, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him, that person, that one person, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father in heaven. There's no hiding behind a group with God. 
There's no hiding behind other people. There's no getting lost in the crowd with God. Everything is on a between me and thee basis, one by one. Now, God begins to create for Abraham here a great vision for a great good that God is going to bring on the earth. And he's now beginning and he's going to enlarge this vision. And he's told Abraham this. Already he began to give Abraham the kernel of this in, uh, when he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees in Genesis 12.1, where he said to Abraham, he said, I will make of thee a great nation. And bless thee and make thy name great. Thou shalt be a blessing. I'll bless them, the curse thee, curse them, the curse thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. See, in that verse, God was telling Abraham that he's going to make Abraham a great nation and that from this greatness that all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. But at that time, when God told Abraham that, when he was still in Ur of the Chaldees, Abraham was still within childbearing years, Abraham and Sarah. They could, people would look at it and say, well, yeah, you can still have a baby. You know? <laughs> now, a lot of time has passed since then, maybe 50 years. And Abraham and Sarah have just become, by all natural means, too old to have children. Too old. And so if the thought was in their mind that, well, God must have forgot, which was the explanation that was given to me when I asked the rabbi about what happened during the Holocaust, he said God was very busy, forgot. Anyway, but if that thought came in their mind that God forgot this, God makes it very clear that he has not forgotten, and he repeats the promise again, and he even puts more emphasis when he uses the word exceedingly. He says they're going to be exceedingly. So faced with a total inability to understand, Abraham did what we are to do when we don't understand. He fell on his face. He fell on his face. He worshiped. He worshiped. And then we read, and God talked with him. Faced with what he could not understand, when Abraham worshiped God, that just seemed to open the door for God to speak, to go on, to speak to him. When Abraham fell on his face, it was like Samuel, who in essence said, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. So instead of stopping God, instead of Abraham stopping God and asking for explanations that how he as a centenarian could have children, instead of stopping God and asking questions, we see Abraham resisting, at least for now, those questions and putting his efforts and his emotions into worshiping God. He channeled, he funneled the emotions that he had, the frustrations and everything else into his worship. And it was as if Abraham was saying to God, please go on. It was as if Abraham, by worshiping God, Abraham was saying to God, please don't stop. Just go on. And this picture that we see here, Abraham falls on his face and and, uh, God speaks with him, is not like the response of Moses, who when God was telling Moses what he's going to do by using Moses, Moses did not at that moment worship God, but he stopped God. And he said in Exodus 4.10, Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken to thy service. For I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue, as if God was going to say, oh, I forgot. (laughs) I did get the wrong man. How did that name get on my list? (laughs) 
But God, and the Lord said to him, who made man's mouth? And who makes the dumb and the deaf and the seeing and the blind? Have not I, the Lord? See, God was telling Moses that he was going to use him as a speaker. And Moses didn't understand. And that was like God telling a centenarian, Abraham, that he was going to have a baby. And Abraham didn't understand. But Moses, not understanding, that was not the time to do what he did. (laughs) Moses, not understanding, was the time for him to do what Abraham did, just worship just worship. But I said, Moses, he said, he's got to tell God he's not eloquent. And he's slow of speech, he's slow tongue. So he was saying to God, so Moses said to God, don't go on. <laughs> Please don't go on. There's a huge problem here. I got to bring it up to you. you know? Please stop. Don't go on. I don't like your plan. Don't go on. But in verse three, this isn't Abraham. Abraham falls on his face and he's saying to God, Please go on. Don't stop. I won't let my lack of understanding stop you from going on. I won't limit you from going on. I want to hear more. I want you to do everything you've said. I don't want to stand in the way. And that's why that whole phrase in verse 3 is so instructive for us. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, when we don't understand what God is doing, when we got a lot of problems, which we do, and we, we need to be not like Moses, but to be like Abraham and just worship. Because verse 3 is so important where it says, and God talked with him. That expresses to us how much God wants to talk with us. God wants to talk with God has something to say to us. God has a message for us. And he wants to do that. And all he wants us to do is just, he wants us to just open the door so that I can talk with you. Worship. And that's what he did. And then we come to the words in verse 4. And these words in verse 4 show the result of Abraham turning his eyes off himself and to God. And these are the words, as for me, behold. Those are great words. That's what we get from the Bible. When we turn to the Bible, we read the as for me, God speaking, as for me, behold. We turn to the Bible and find out what God wants to say. God, you know, when, If we were writing this, as for us... You know, as for us, the statement is, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's not great news. As for us, the statement is Romans 5.12, as for us, behold, wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed, like a big disease, upon all men, for that all have sinned. You know, as as for you and I, the statement is Romans 6.23, as for you and I, behold, the wages of sin is death. That's not great. But to capture the wonder of this first four words in verse four, just plug it in to phrases in the Bible. And it, you know, like in Romans 6, 23, as for me, behold, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Or like in, in John 6, 47, plug it in. As for me, behold, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Or like in John 5, 24, as for me, behold, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. Like in John 10, 28, as for me, behold, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Micah 7, 19. As for me, behold, thou wilt cast all their sin into the depths of the seas. 
And of course, the great passage of John 14, as for me, behold, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Those are great words. As for me, behold. Always with God, it's a surprise. As for me, behold. That's as far as we'll be able to get this morning. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you are the God of as for me, behold. Lord, we turn our eyes away from the us where we see death and all the damage. And we turn our eyes to you where we see life and gifts and open doors and defeated devil, Lord, and a full payment for our sin. And that's all the as for you, behold. And so we thank you, Lord, for being the great God that you are to us. Uh, Continue, Lord, to teach us throughout this week from what we've learned today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor.